In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with me, turn to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. We are in a series called Christ Revealed, and we are going, uh, uh, as the Lord leads, through parts of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to add some stuff in there too. But uh, talking about Christ revealed, why the truth still matters of Jesus Christ, who He is, why it still matters, why who Jesus is is making my life meaningful, and why who Jesus is makes my life missional. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. But this morning, I'm going to title this uh, particular sermon, Unbelieving Believers. Unbelieving Believers. Have you ever met an unbelieving believer before? Uh, And here's some questions I want to ask us today. These are all questions that healthy believers should ask themselves regularly, and you should ask somebody else across the aisle or in your small group regularly. Here's this. How certain are you that you'll make heaven? It's a good question. Do you fear falling from Christ? Does God saving your eternal soul, that fact, does it bring you closer and closer to Him? Does it make you trust Him more and more as your days go on? And how are you resting today in what Christ has done for you? How do you have the resting peace and presence of God today saturating your life because of what Jesus Christ Christ has done? So these are some questions that we should ask each other today. I think the worst part of being a pastor, now there's a lot of great things, but the worst part of being a pastor today is in the uh, years of preaching and discipling and mentoring, even as a young person, mentoring people in youth and in college ministry, is that I have seen so many come in and be saved and accept Jesus Christ only to fall away again. That is the saddest. Those are the people that keep me up at night. Those are the people that fill my thoughts throughout the day. Now, I have a heart for the lost. I love missions. But as a pastor, one with a pastor's heart, It is those that have heard and come in and accepted something and received something, but have yet not fully lived it out. They have walked away from it. And so uh, to be saved by His Word and wonder from it. I think there's a problem in specifically America today that many unknowingly check out after salvation and they fail to truly surrender everything. And why is that? I think sometimes after Christ's work, uh, the Scripture says that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says. Is there a holy fear of reverence that we're continuing to work out our salvation in? Or I think sometimes we create our own illusion of God's presence. We can come into church, we can sing some songs, they can get us fired up, we can jump and shout, but is it the presence of God? I think we can come and sing some great hymns and some great choruses and remember the good old days of back when we got into the altars but still fail to get into the altars today. And yet we put on this facade of Christianity. I think sometimes we can rest in our own man-made works that we can uh, give and we can tithe and we can stop the cussing and the drinking and the sex outside of marriage and we can stop all these things. But yet is the presence of God activated in our life? I think that's one of the problems we see in the church today. I think we see that we get hard hearts because we slowly begin to compromise with sin. Little by little, it begins to compromise my life and my values and my fire with God. 
And then soon I find myself testing him and pushing the limits of how far I can get away with certain things secretly in my life. Secret thoughts, secret habits, secret dreams, secret ambitions, the way I spend my money, the way I give, the way I treat my wife, my spouse. All these things begin to slowly erode away because there's not this uh, persistence, this diligence to press on into the deeper things of salvation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to today, just bear with me. I'm gonna, we want to read some uh, in Hebrews chapter 3, but I want your spiritual thinking caps on. I want your spiritual ears on because you're going to have to be listening through the Holy Spirit today to understand some things that the book of Hebrews is a very deep book. And sometimes people skip over because I don't understand it. But I believe there's some powerful truths today if you'll just bear with me uh, and stick with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, uh, let me set the stage here a little bit. The author is established in the first part of the book who Jesus really is, what he did on the cross, who God says he is, and he says, uh, and he kind of gets into what the cross did and why it matters. Then he says, but I want you to look at Israel's failures and understand this can happen to you. Now he's talking to a bunch of Christians who are second generation Christians who had met people like their great grandma or grandpa knew the Apostle Paul or, or knew Peter and all them. So he's writing to these second generation Christians who have heard maybe even firsthand accounts of these miracle stories of Jesus in Galilee, right? Uh, and he's telling them, your fire is failing, you're soon to be compromising, and some of you have already yet fallen. And so he's speaking to believers and he says, Remember that Israel was not faithful to trust God to the very end, and a whole generation died without seeing the promised land. And they did not, even those who made it into the promised land, because of their disobedience, still did not have rest, still did not receive the full promise of God. And so he says, because really they were unbelieving believers. They were unbelieving believers. Let's read together. I'm reading on the New Living Translation. It's going to be on the screen today. Hebrews 3, 12. And just follow along with this this morning. And just take a listen to this. He says, Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end... Trusting God as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, today, firmly believe. Today, firmly believe, okay? Verse 16, and who was it that rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt, those who made God angry for 40 years? And wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness, and to whom God was speaking when He took an oath that they would never enter His rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed Him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter His rest. He's saying there were people who heard God's voice, saw the miracles, signs and wonders, part of the Red Sea, the audible voice of God, and yet they still didn't believe. So how is your relationship with God, Christian? Because they saw some mighty stuff and still didn't make it. How's your relationship? Look on. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering rest, though, still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you may not make, might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared us this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did no good because it didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter His rest. Verse 9, there's a special rest 
still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered to God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best, do our best to enter that rest. I love the rhyme. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we'll fail. What is he saying here? Okay, imagine with me today, you work a job. Some of you, how many people have a job? Okay, most of the room. Very good. Those of you who have retired, you used to have a job, so you count. Okay? So you have a job, and your boss, you're working hard, you love your boss, you love your job. Okay? Your boss comes and says, hey, guess what? Tomorrow, I'm giving you a day off. Somebody say hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Right. I'm, you're getting a day off for free. It's not going to come out of your paid time off, your vacation, sick leave. I just feel good about you, and I'm just going to give you a day off. Wouldn't that just make you jump and shout? Right? And it says, not going to count you anything. You, you, don't have, you didn't earn it. It's just my free grace. I just love you. So here you go, bonus, you know, free day off. But here's the catch. I just want you to make sure you finish out today. Don't go home early. Just finish out your work today and tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Uh, again, it's free grace. Me, my mercy, because I want to give it to you. Here's yours. This is your day off. Just continue to finish your job today. Clock out at 5, and you can go home. And tomorrow you can rest. That is what's happening here in this passage. The problem is, so many people with knowing the promises tomorrow begin resting today, and they slack, they check out early, and they don't finish the job Jesus has called them to do. And so he's saying there are some, just like Israel, they've heard God's voice, they saw, they thought it was they were earning this day off tomorrow, but in fact, God said, it was my grace all along that I was given this to you. You didn't earn this. This wasn't because you're just awesome. It's because I'm awesome, and I just wanted to give you something out of grace and mercy and love, this great promise of eternal rest. But yet they begin to slack in their diligence, and they fail to receive the promise of God tomorrow. So I'm going to give you three things. We're talking about disobedience, a day of rest, and diligence. Real quick, three things, three Ds. Disobedience, day of rest, and diligence through these verses. And we're going to kind of ex, uh, exposition these, just go line by line a little bit with these. And I'm going to kind of do that through the New American Standard today. But look at chapter 3, verse 12. He says, my version says, Take heed lest there be any possibility. Is there any possibility that you think you may perhaps ever fall away from God? Is there anything in your heart that might draw you back into the world? Because he says you should take an account of that thing. Take heed. Take an examination. Is there anything? Could something happen possibly in your future? You lose someone. You lose your spouse. You lose your kid. You lose your job. Uh, This person begins to tempt you back with drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. Or this person makes an advancement on you in your workplace. Is there anything that if those conditions happen, you might fall to sin and fall back away from God? Because he says, that's the thing God wants you to work on today. What is something in your life that might draw you back to the old you? Because he says, take heed, take a self-examination, because Israel thought they had it all together, yet they still failed to receive the promise. I'm going to tell you today, there are so many Christians, we've got to continue to think about this disobedience in our heart, that he says, any one of you, any one of you, that turns away, take heed that there not be any one of you that turns away, any one of you, meaning basically this, that you and I are here together, and he's writing to the whole church saying, I want you to help one another. You're not here all on your own. Sometimes I need somebody in my life to tell me if I'm being stupid. I need somebody in my life to tell me my attitude is not right. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a best friend. Somebody in your church, in your small group that says, 
I love you. You can trust me. We trust one another and say, man, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Are you sure you're still growing in Jesus? How's your prayer life? How's your marriage? I've been noticing you seeing down and depressed lately. That we as a church, it should be a holy fear in us to say, man, I'm concerned for you. I'm worried about you. And that we have the boldness to speak honestly to one another. Grace, love, truth, right? That's our motto. Grace, love. But I'm going to tell you the truth. That I love you enough. I don't want you to leave the grace of God. All right, any one of you. says that turns away, verse 12, chapter 3. Turning away there means rebelling against. Literally, that they rebelled against the very living God. Think about that. To have known God, seen Him, heard Him, experienced Him, been delivered out of sin of Egypt, they rebelled against Him. Of course not, though. We don't do that, right? You know, every believer faces the temptation to go back to the world. New believer, let me tell you, it's going to get harder. Right? Seasoned saints, you're going to face it. It's going to, every one of us face that, that, that desire to compromise our faith. Why? Because rebellion or unbelief or faithlessness really is what it all is. It's in the carnality of our heart, the flesh of every man and woman and child. It's born into us. It's innate. And we are both uh, born with that desire to break the rules of God and defy Him. It's a very sad thing. Because I don't want to do it. I don't, and when I think about it, I don't want to do it. But yet, like Paul says in Romans 7, I do the things that I don't want to do. And the things I want to do, I have a problem not doing. And, and so there's this uh, fear, he's saying, that don't depart from the living God. And to depart from the living God is coming from the word uh, to apostatize. That means uh, to leave, to reject something known. It is the worst of all. Uh, now, sin is sin. But I'm going to tell you something. It is the worst of all woes in Scripture. The worst verses of Scripture are reserved for those that have known God, experienced Him, and left Him. That is the sin of the devil. That's that ultimate rebellion to have seen, experienced, and tasted the goodness of God, and yet turn away from it. There's no longer any sacrifice for sin. We'll learn that later. But he says the worst woe is when a believer who's heard the truth and been delivered of sin goes their own way. You know, in that sin, we don't think we're sinning. That's the sad part about it all for us is in that sin, in that compromise, when we begin to do things, we just think, well, I'm just living out my life. I'm not sinning against anyone. This isn't hurting anyone. But who am I sinning against? God. It's that moment where we say, well, I'm just living my own life. And in fact, we say, no, you're doing what you want, when you want, and how you want. That's called sin. It's not... It's not about what I want, when I want, how I want it. It's as God wants it. I've given my life up. It's quiet in here today. He looks, okay, let's look at Israel, he says. Okay, think about this disobedience we're talking about today. So take care, take heed, lest any one of you turns away from the living God and departs and receives one of the greatest woes in Scripture because it happened to them, Israel. He says, God in grace had saved Israel by His covenant. He was uh, giving them the gospel of Christ's coming. He uh, gave them all the foreshadows that this good news was coming. And in this promise was a promise of rest. And I will take you to the promised land, and there you'll have rest for your enemies. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have, man, it's just going to be good up in that place. Because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in your midst. It wasn't about the honey. It wasn't about the milk. You know, when I was little, I literally used to think it was a river of honey or a river of milk. I'm thinking, man... I don't never been there or a place like that before. But no, that's not what it means. 
Okay, those of you who didn't grow up in church, okay, they want to. It's a land that is very fruitful. Okay, good gardens, good soil, good good battlegrounds. Okay, and he says, I'm going to give you this great land. Well, they thought in the natural sense, but he's like, no. But I'm going to be in your midst, and my presence will go before you and behind you. The temple will, will be there, a permanent dwelling place, and I will be in there. You'll be my people. You'll be my kingdom of priests, a royal nation. Well, they didn't hear it that way, right? And so he says, uh, I'm going to give you this promised land. And yet Israel stubbornly wanted to go back to Egypt. It's almost unbelievable, right? If God said, hey, let's go to heaven today, you'd be like, Woo-hoo, let's get on the train, right? Nobody would say, ah, who wants to go there? Let's go back to the bars and alleys and the crack houses, because that's where we had it all. It didn't even make any sense. But sin makes you stupid. Okay? Can I say that? Ignorant, foolish. Doesn't make any sense. And so the promise was putrefied by their disobedience. It was worm-rotted. It was gone. A whole generation thus died in the wilderness. And those who did make it to the promised land still didn't have peace from the enemies. God, they failed to drive them all out, and they still did not receive the fullness of God. And they didn't receive the fullness of God's presence in their midst. And in fact, they ended up going into exile. Both Israel and Judah went into exile. They lost the temple and lost it all over those generations. How sad of a story. He says, take notice of this, church. I'm not talking to unbelievers. I'm talking to believers, to Christians. That there should be something that we take heed, lest any one of us falls from the hands of the living God and departs from Him. There is a great warning here that they didn't... Verse, chapter 4, verse 2 says, they did not hear it in faith. They did not enter because of unbelief. He's talking about believers. Believers failed to enter because of unbelief. Think of it. A whole generation died. Think of it this way. God gave them heavenly manna as a symbol of the bread of life to come, but they only saw what? No meat. Think of this. Hearing with my spiritual ears today. Listen. God gave them manna for the bread of life. They only saw no meat. Think of it this way. Uh, God gave them the Sabbath as a sign of His eternal rest to come and the great promise of heaven, but they only saw another day of the week. No work is what they saw. You understand me today? Today, likewise, I think the church is given this great symbol of the kingdom of heaven. It's the body of Christ, the church on earth today. But so many people only see the church as a building or a weekend sing-along. Same sin, church. Same sin. Some just see it as tradition. Worship is not about our music choice. Church attendance is not about our membership. Water baptism is not about what the pastor says when he dunks you. There are some great spiritual truths in each one of those events. But it's not about, uh, communion is not about juice and crackers either, right? There's some great depths of the Spirit that God, just like He was trying to tell Israel, is trying to tell us today. And that so many Christians still see Christianity through a natural means. It's all about the do's and the don'ts. It's about what we can control here. It's about what our religion looks like, our denomination looks like. But do we have the presence and promise of God in our hearts? Are we full of the uh, joy of the Holy Spirit? And how carnal is our Christianity? And do we hear His Word with faith? And is the Spirit speaking to each one of us of how we should live our lives? This is the question that the Hebrews author is getting to us. And he says, why? Why do we not want to disobey God? What's the point? What's all about this disobedience? Because he says there's a day of rest. 
that you do not want to miss this day of rest. It is glorious, this day of rest. How many people like a day of rest sometimes? Amen? This, this was spring break here uh, this week. So let's again put on our spiritual ears. What is this resting place? It's the promise of peace in God forevermore. Somebody say amen. The promise of peace in God forevermore. Think about it this way. On the seventh day of creation, I'm just going to get away here and paraphrase what the author of Hebrews is saying in these, this chapter. He says, in the seven days, six days, God worked and he labored, but on the seventh day, he rests. Okay? Was God tired? No. God wasn't tired. Did God need to rest? No. Why did he give us a seventh day of rest? For us. And it was a spiritual symbol. It wasn't about a 24-hour period. Hear me. I'm not preaching a, anything different here. I just want you to know the author of Hebrews is talking spiritually today. It wasn't about God setting a 24-hour period for you to go to church on Sundays or as a Jew to worship on Saturdays. It wasn't about not working. It was God's promise from the foundation of the world that He would provide your rest, your eternal place of dwelling. And that's the place, that seventh day, spiritually speaking, is the place where Adam and Eve dwelt with God. That seventh day rest is where they enjoyed that God's word set the foundation of the world. He said it was good and it was in order. The relationship was right. The joy of the Lord filled the whole earth. The presence of the Lord dwelt with them every evening in the, in the garden. And everything was right as it should be. And there they knew the kingdom of God. They knew the reign and the realm of God. The holiness of God was uninhibited uh, from them. And they were uninhibited from one another. There was no uh, divorce. There was no hatred, no murder, no jealousy. In that seventh day, in that place where God said everything is done and it is good. Let's now watch all my creation continue to do the things I've told it to do. Everything listened to my voice in that day. Okay, spiritually speaking, okay? And so it was good in order. They lived in the goodness of God, but yet what happened? In their rebellion, they were cast out of God's presence, separated from that rest with God. And so we see fast forward. Now Israel, God gives them the same promise. He says, I'm going to give you rest like what Adam and Eve lost. I want you to again rest with me, be with me forever. And so he says, Israel, here's this plan, here's this covenant. But yet Israel still having even the law. They had all the religious laws you could have. They had all the religious rules you could have that would show the holiness of God and what it needed to attain to get to that rest. Yet they could not fulfill it. They couldn't do it. Moses and Joshua tried their very best, but he could only lead them to the edge of the promised land. And even still then, the law was not good enough to change their hearts. The religious rules, religious do's and don'ts could not change anything on the inside of them. So they too failed to receive the rest that God promised. They needed who? Jesus Christ. Now, who did Jesus Christ come back as? So we've got the seventh day Sabbath with God in the garden. God commanded the seventh day of rest in the law, so Israel knew about it. Again, he reminded them about this seventh day rest. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he say he is? I am Lord of the Sabbath. See this? Are you following with me this morning? Jesus comes on, he says, I am the Lord, the God of the Sabbath. He comes on and he says what? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you what? rest. What's he talking about there? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for who? For what? Your souls. 
You see, the Sabbath was never about the religious do's and don'ts. Your Sunday morning worship experience is not about an attendance record or a tithing record or what your denomination is. It is about this understanding that God is still providing rest for His people. God is still Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus comes, and just like God worked for six days and rested, Jesus came and worked on this world. He worked on the cross, and then He said, It's finished, and He rested said he sat at the right hand of the throne. He is waiting in the place of rest, and he's prepared a place for you and I today to sit and reign and realm of the kingdom of God and the rest in the presence of God. And so Jesus provides the rest you and I needed. From the foundation of the world, he undoes what Adam and Eve did and brings it all back. What Israel couldn't accomplish through the religious do's and don'ts, they couldn't get to the rest. Jesus says, but now I've provided it for you. I did all the work that was needed so you could rest. So Jesus comes, he says, now there's rest in weariness. There's rest from sorrow. There's rest from sin. And he says, so today is a new day. See that? Six days God worked, seven days he's rested. Jesus says, this is a new day of salvation. And so the author of Hebrews says, but it's about today. Today, in this day, now you can rest with God. There is a foretaste of that rest given in the presence of God now dwelling in you. That very kingdom of God, that resting peace of God, of the presence of God, now comes and lives inside of you. So while we haven't really achieved all of the rest, we know that there's still coming a day where we're going to be with God in paradise. But we have this foretaste to know that there is a true rest that Jesus provided, it is guaranteed in the promise and the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so in this day, you can today have rest from your sin. Today, you can have rest from weariness and sorrow and all the things of this world and have a confident hope. Rest has been provided for you because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath day rest. It is a day that you and I will enter for all eternity. Christ performed the work we needed in order to rest. Isn't that a good promise? So that should kind of say, I don't want to do those things anymore. I don't want to disobey. I want the day of rest, right? So what work remains? So you say, Pastor Heath, Christ, you saying Christ did all the do's and don'ts and all the law and Christ did all these things. Well, what work remains for us? What are we supposed to be doing now on this earth? That we just, now we're saving and do whatever we want? No. Clear clear uh, verses in Scripture about that, but there's a diligence that now we must have. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 says, For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So now we've rested from our labors, now that we're in Jesus Christ. It says, But let us then what do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. There's a warning there. You can receive it now, but you still can fall from it. I don't know what you believe about once saved, always saved. I think that's God's goal. There's a clear verse in Scripture right here. You can fall from the rest of God that He has promised you. You can backslide. There's a good, there's, that's the truth, okay? I can't sugarcoat it. I can't find any verse in Scripture to go around it. That it says there, He is speaking to believers that you have rested from all your religious works because just like because of what Jesus has done, but you need to do your best to receive it. You need to do your best that you do not disobey, and you need some diligence. Do you know, <clears throat> thinking about America 
today in, in our religiosity in our church. Uh, do you know that 52% of Harvard graduates in the 17th century became pastors? Now, you think about Harvard today, okay? Think about these schools. Let me show you where our, our nation used to be. Columbia University in 1754 said its chief aim was to teach and engage children to know God and Jesus Christ. That was their mission. Dartmouth College was found to train men as missionaries to the Indians. Yale's president in 1814 told the class uh, at the graduation, Christ is the only, the true, the living way of access to God. That gets you fired today. Princeton's first president also said, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the gospel of Christ. Hello. You can't even say that hardly in a public square today. What happened? We've been compromising, church. We've been compromising as a church. Been, been slowly fading away and drifting from the believing believer who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, there must be a holy fear rise up in the church, a godly fear uh, that, that is met with trembling because we've seen other people fall. We've seen the status of our country today. We know people that should be sitting in these seats with us right now, but have fallen from grace. And Lord, help them to come back. But he says you should warn one another. Keep another accountable, speak into their lives, remind each other that sin is deceitful, that we may not even know, like Israel, that we are falling away. He says, don't fall short, don't be careless about growing spiritually or even attending church. Church, you must help us keep people accountable today. That is our mandate. As believers, we are responsible to and for one another. Now, we're ultimately each responsible for our own salvation. But for those we see slipping away, He challenges us as believers, go after them, call them, encourage them, exhort them, warn them even that hell is real, it's hot, but there is a day of rest that you might miss. And so He says, today is the day, not tomorrow. You say, oh, oh, I know where I ought to be, I'm not where I ought to be, or I'm not where I was, but He says, but today is the day. God's provided today again. That seventh day is available today. Just might be that tomorrow Satan might have you. This is real, church. I'm just telling you, this is the Word of God. It's real. So diligence. Christ became the solution to our disobedience, and now He's paid the price for all of our disobedience. disobedience. But what do you got to do today? You must be diligent Diligence is the opposite of drifting. Verse, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Let us labor. You say, Pastor Heath, I thought we were done with all the works of religion. Right there, the author of Hebrews says, There is some labor yet still for you to do. There is some works that you still must be doing. There is a work still for us. And it is a working to attain rest. You work all week long so you can rest on Saturday, right? Some people resting on Sunday. <laughs> you work all week long to rest. There's still something, well, Christ has done a great work for us and He's provided the rest. There is a work for us. No longer are we uh, trying to work to be saved. We're not justified by religious works. You're not justified by the way you talk, the way you act, the way you dress, what you do or don't do. You're justified by grace through faith, but it's the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't have to earn my way into salvation. Just like that boss 
who paid for you that day off. He said, you didn't earn it. I'm just freely giving it. But you have to do something to receive it. You understand me today? Open up our spiritual ears. You do not earn salvation. You receive it. But you must be diligent to receive it. It does not just happen because you slack off and think, well, I didn't pursue what God has offered me. So he says in Galatians chapter 5, it says, no, to, to think we can do whatever we want, that means we'd be falling from grace. But to accept Christ means to accept Christ's latter yoke. He says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my what? Yoke upon you. My burden is lighter than yours. But you still got a burden. You still got a yoke. That means Christ's authority is now over your life. You traded your authority controlling your own life, and then you gave up it. Then you put Christ's yoke, like the ox, you know, yoke. You put his reins over your life. So now that means Christ rules me. I don't rule myself anymore. So I now listen to the Spirit. There's a work to be done through our faith by listening to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 5 says it this way. Uh, paraphrasing. We now work not by religious rules, but through the Spirit by faith. Another way, verse 6, it says you're working out our faith through love. Peter says it this way, you're called to exercise your faith, to work out your faith. Meaning that all you have right now to do for Jesus Christ is not religiosity, it's not tradition, it's not rules and the do's and the don'ts. It is an exercising of your faith by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That until Jesus Christ comes back and you receive the rest, you must be doing something with your faith or you will be sliding very quickly. It means your faith must be producing something, that there must be something activated in your life. Are you taking risks for Jesus Christ? Are you stepping out of your comfort zone to give financially and prayerfully and and with your time, talent, and treasure? Are we engaged in the gospel mission? Is the Spirit speaking to me as I go about my day and my agenda? Is love being produced from uh, from within to without? Is there something activated in me, something churning, something moving inside of me that the Spirit is now ruling and reigning my life and faith is calling me to like leaps and bounds in the name of Jesus Christ because I want to be a believing believer. Too many unbelieving believers they say, well, it's all about the, how you do this, how you baptize, how you take communion, how you go to church, what you dress. What you... That's what Israel did and they failed to receive the promise. Let's be real today. It's about listening to the Holy Spirit and being diligent to put away sin from my life and serve Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. If you do all that, you'll fulfill all the laws in the book. But it's a diligence. It doesn't just happen. We've called church to finish this day of work till Jesus comes. There is a great commission that we are slacking off on. The whole world dying and go to hell by the billions. We who have the truth trying to play church on Sunday mornings. People slipping out of the church at a record drove. Nine million people over the la- uh, eight million people over the last five years have fallen out of the church. Another nine million projected to fall in the next five years. What are we doing? He says, waking us up. We've got to be doing something with our faith until Jesus comes. He says, verse 14, chapter 4, hold fast, be confident. Trust God wholeheartedly. Pay close attention to the Word of God. Faith comes by what? Hearing. They did not hear. It actually says in Hebrews, it says, the Word of God did not mix with faith in their ears. They heard the Word of God. How many people hear the Word of God every, 
I mean, we could listen to podcasts all day long, the best worship music in the world, the most temperate uh, environment, the comfortable pews, the hot coffee, the kids' discovery zone in our church, the smog, the folk, you know, lasers and lights and dramas and best sermons and PowerPoints. But does it come by faith when you hear it? Is there something that we hear the word of God and it mixes with faith and there's something that comes out of me by the spirit that I'm diligently working on that faith to lay aside my corrupted old self, renewed in the spirit of my mind, putting on that new self which made in the image of Jesus Christ to turn to Christ's work of grace persistently, even when I fall to get back up and say, God, I'm going to make it again today by your spirit. I don't care. I fell yesterday, but God, I'm getting back up again. I'm going to persevere until that rest is mine. Come on, we got to get, get a little fired up for pushing through. It's going to be hard. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to feel like giving up. There's going to be things come in your life, but you got to keep moving forward. Don't give up. It's worth fighting for. It's worth pushing through to say, God, I'm working out my faith fearfully until the very end. And it says, if you diligently hold fast that confession of faith until the very end, you'll find his rest. Sometimes you got to work hard on that Friday to make sure you get home on Saturday. You say, I'm getting all my work done. I'm working my tail off because I'm ready to go home. Amen. Don't we do that in the world today? Man, we work hard. If I know five o'clock's coming and I don't want to stay late, I get it done. Right? Church, we've got a mission to get done before Jesus comes back. Let's get it done. Like Israel, if we don't have that diligence to work out this faith, if we're not being drawn continually that God's grace supplies all our needs, He, he cancels the written code of the original religious law against us, we're going to fail to enter that rest. And I close with this. Here's the difference. Because how do you know where you are? Because this is, this is how we sum it all up today. And he does it perfectly, the author of Hebrews. So there's disobedience, a day of rest, and there's diligence. Where are you today? Look at this in this passage uh, today in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are all accountable. Where are you at today? Are you falling back towards disobedience? Are you pressing forward in diligence? And the Word of God is going to tell you where you are. His Spirit, this isn't about the written Word, while it's true, it is the spoken, the, the, the Word of His Spirit speaking into our hearts. That's what this is talking about, not just reading something on a piece of paper. Because you can read on a piece of paper and go on with your life. This is when God speaks to your soul, and His Word pierces you, and He says, this is where you are, this is what I want out of you, because I want you to make this rest with me. Then you can't hide, you can hide from the pastor, you can hide from the church worship team, you can sit wherever you want to sit and sneak in late and sneak out early, you don't have to read your Bible at home, but God knows your heart. He knows how you speak at work, He knows how you treat your spouse, He knows what you think in your secret alone time. He knows. And He says, but are you being diligent to press forward to the rest I've worked to provide for you? If you have an unbelieving heart today, you and I both will be exposed before the living God. That literally, that some authors think that this, this idea of what it's talking about is this dagger that the priest would use 
to take the sacrifice up to the altar. They would sacrifice that, that sheep or goat or cow, and they would cut its throat with that dagger, and they would, Brother Ron, being a butcher, would know more about this than I would, but they begin to cut apart that animal and expose its insides, and it would all be open and laid bare before that altar, cut apart into pieces, and God would take it up as a, a soothing aroma. It would burn up and become an offering of fragrance to God. That's what I want my life to be, a living sacrifice, pleasing to God, like Romans tells us in chapter 12, that every part of me has been taken apart by God and given up to worship to Him. There's nothing hidden in my life to confess our sins to one another and be healed is what James says. That who am I to think I can put off this perfect polished pastor? You know, I'm a sinner just like anybody else. Faults and failures in my life, regrets, and so do you. A couple of you. We're all messed up. We're all broken. We all need Jesus. We all have a flesh that wants to go back to disobedience, but we all must work diligently, warning one another to receive the rest that God has so graciously provided. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't work for it on your own. It's not about you. Christ has done the work. He's provided that seventh-day rest for you and I for all eternity. The only work I have left to do is my faith working out through the Holy Spirit, producing love. Amen? And worship team, would you come? Let's pray today. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. God.